Welcome to Element. Man, winter is hitting early. It's got all nice and it gets cold. I don't like it when it's cold. Because we never know what to do with the room. We turn on the heater and then it gets all hot. And then we open the doors and it gets too cold. And it's like hot flashes. And just don't know what to do. <laughs> Apparently some people live with that every single day. And we're sorry. Uh, if you are new and you don't own a Bible, there are Bibles in the back. Uh, you can have one. If you don't own one, if you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables around the room. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app called YouVersion. Uh, you can click on Live. It'll bring you up by your location here, and you get the sermon notes and all the verses on your phones as well. So, uh, I'm going to give you a couple of announcements other than the ones you got earlier, because I know you just love announcements. Sometimes I feel like we're the church of announcements. Um, we are going to do a financial class uh, starting in January. It's January 20, what's the date? 19th. So Wednesday night. Uh, there'll be full child care available. So if you have kids, you can bring them. It's called Financial Peace University. It's from uh, Dave Ramsey, if you guys know who that is. Uh, now, I'm going to give you this, this heads up. Uh, the class costs 96 bucks per family. Well, one of the guys who is going to lead it for us, he goes, man, sounds like you've got to be rich to get out of debt. Which, and, but the more we think about it, it's, it actually gives you the ability to access all of their stuff for the course of a couple of years. It enables you to keep downloading things that you maybe forgot. It, I don't know. It, it's 96 bucks. It's what it costs, whatever. So here, here's our thing for you. You should start saving like 8 bucks a week for the next you know, 11 weeks. And hey, or 12 weeks, and you're there. Bam, look at that. Eight bucks. Don't go to McDonald's once a week, and you're, you'll be there. Nice and easy. You should all come. The, actually, they said by the end of this class, the average couple has been able to pay off, after the 13 weeks of the class, been able to pay off $5,000 of debt just by putting the principles in the course into action. And what we liked about it is that there are other courses that, and it's, it's biblical, okay, but there are other courses that were more discipleship-oriented, but this one was very, very practical, and that's why we wanted to do this. So save money, come to the class, and then you'll have a whole lot of extra money and you can give. <laughs> oh, that was bad. I'm sorry. All right. So we have another thing I'm going to tell you about. Christmas for kids. Christmas for kids. If you've been here before, we do this every year so far. One of the ladies at Element kind of puts this thing on. And what we do is there are people in our community who don't, make, uh, don't have enough money to actually get their kids gifts, but they actually make too much for government assistance, so they fall through the cracks. And so what we do is we get together, we find some of these people that people in, in here recommend, and we take them to breakfast, we take them and their kids out shopping for some clothes, a toy of some sort, and then they actually get to connect with you because it's about the connection with each other as well as helping them out. So Christmas for Kids, we have signups that are starting today. Uh, we'll have a box in the back, and you can, you can give to that if you want to, or you can sign up and come and help out with the breakfast. You can take them shopping with you, because we don't just, we don't just give them stuff and say go shopping. We want them to connect with some people who go here, because that connection is very, very important. So you can sign up to go sh- I think you go shopping with them. Yeah. Sam, woo. It's fun. See? Maybe if you're like, oh, I don't want to connect with anybody. Well, fine. Then throw some money in the box anyway so we can get them some gifts. and that's- Then you go to the financial class and realize... Christmas for Kids is coming. Sign up. We'll get in touch with you if you want to help out. It's all good. And this is my last thing. I got a, I got a picture here. This is, that's actually Element. <laughs> you go, wow. 
Oh, goes the next picture. So yeah, James. James got married Friday night. He is off on his honeymoon. You can say some prayers for him. It's all new and wonderful. It's great. Why don't you guys stand there? You read God's word. It's always good to pray for people. Your little snarky little laughs there. I hear them. This is Matthew six thirty four, and it says, "Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own." Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us to be a people who trust you enough that we know that you hold all things in your hands and we can live this life in full confidence of that, displaying who you are by our full confidence in you by how we live. Amen. Have a seat. So we are in week five of a series called Made. The series is about how God has made every single one of us unique and God likes that. If you were all like me, then we would have to have like the flood part two because that just couldn't actually happen. Uniqueness, uniqueness, God loves that. There's many Christians, and there's also other religions in the world that believe that God wants cookie-cutter people. He wants them all to look exactly the same, but He doesn't. God loves the uniqueness of the humanity that He has created. He loves that. And central to becoming who God made us to be is understanding ourselves and our humanity. But here's my disclaimer I need to give you every week when I say that. Because you need to understand that we don't tell you and how you're made and all this so, so you can get better in touch with you. It's not because you are so wonderful. It's because that you and I are terrible and we are the problem and that Jesus is the solution. Our culture spends too much time trying to get you to focus on yourself and it leads to major issues because you and I are terrible. So what we talk about is not to build your self-esteem. Uh, most people think way more highly of themselves than they ought to. And then this again turns into depression and high credit card bills. So my goal is to help you to understand how God sees you and that your eyes should always be upon Christ to ever properly understand you. But part of being you is knowing that God made you to be who you are. You are not meant to be anybody but you and God knew what he was doing when he made you. So the first week we talked about how you need to trust God, that he knew what he was doing when he made you and who he wanted you to be. And so you have to embrace that even if you don't always understand it. The second week we talked about spiritual growth, that one size does not fit all because we're all different. The third week we talked about how your greatest strength can also be your greatest weakness. And then two weeks ago we talked about how to be truly human. Now this week, we're gonna, we start going into a little more practical things this week. And we're going to talk where nobody ever really likes to go, but we all end up there at some point. And this is the idea of fear and worry and anxiety and what we're supposed to do with that. Imagine this. Imagine in your life you face a financial difficulty. And rather than freaking out, you think, okay, God has all things in his hands. I'm going to learn something out of this. And you walk through the other side with purpose and surety. Imagine you have an irate boss come into your office or your cubicle or your job site and start yelling at you. Instead of like, I'm going to punch him, you think, oh, you know, I'm going to really learn through this. You have poise and you have resolve. Imagine you get bad news, and rather than you know, spiraling into all the worst-case scenarios, you actually generate positive ways to solve a problem. Imagine if you feel rejected, and you don't give in to discouragement or despair. Imagine uh, if you have made mistakes, and you actually acknowledge them, and not try and push them off onto someone else, and you confidently move into the future because you know that Christ is the center of your life. Now imagine people around you coming to you because they see your peace of mind and they see how you trust Christ and they come to you for help and counsel because you're so grounded. It's amazing, right? This would be good, right? You're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. It's all Greek and foreign to me. I don't get it. Open your Bible to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5.22. This would be a wonderful thing for all of us in our lives. 
So easy to do. So easy. Galatians 5.22. Damn, so I'm letting you guys get there. This is, this, the first line this says, but the fruit of the Spirit. Now, th- this whole idea of fruit, this is what the Spirit grows. This is what He brings. So it says the fruit of the, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The life controlled by the Spirit of God is a life of life and peace. And today I want to talk to you about what a life like that could actually look like, a life immersed in the Spirit of God. Because God's Spirit, what you just read there, God's Spirit is never anxious, He is never worried, He is never fearful. His presence in your life is never an anxious presence. Now, anxiousness kind of works like this. And this is a true story. Uh, you're, you're maybe doing some type of youth event, and a kid falls and busts their arm in three places. True story. Okay? And all of a sudden, someone else is like, oh, they broke their arm, and someone's freaking out, and going, oh, look at your arm, I can't believe it. And somebody else over here sees this person freaking out over the person who broke their arm, and they run over, oh, look at your broken arm, oh my goodness. And all of a sudden, you got like 10 people gathered around this person, going, oh my goodness. And the guy on the ground is almost comatose from fear, because everybody's like, oh. and now imagine. You take someone who's calm, they know what they're doing, they're not freaking out, and they walk into the situation and go, you need to go away because you're acting crazy, you need to go to this, and you need to go to that, and, you need... and all of a sudden they step in and bring a calm to the entire situation. That's what we need. That is what the Spirit of God does in our lives. We freak out, everything's going on, and the Spirit of God steps in and says, this is what you need to know. I have everything in my hands. He brings this assurance that his people's well-being is never at risk. Turn to the book of Mark, chapter 4. Mark, chapter 4. In Mark, chapter 4, Jesus, he has had a tough day. He's going across the lake in a boat with his disciples, and he falls asleep because he needs to sleep. In Mark, chapter 4, verse 37, he's sleeping in the boat, and then this is what happens. It says, A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? It's like the guy with the broken arm. Oh my goodness, what's going on? A little of a reaction, right? Don't you care? Well, he's in the boat too. Verse 39, He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. The wind died down, and it was completely calm. Now, the word for quiet is the word seopao, and what it means is hush. It means the inability to make noise. And what I love about this is I think sometimes God steps into our lives and He goes, hush, be still. And all the things that are kind of going on, it's like maybe you, you, maybe you might even lose a job because it takes up 80 to 80% of your time, you know, time for your family. And God goes, hush, be still. And you're like, what's... God's like, you've got to stop. You've got to reset. He comes in and he brings this never anxious presence into our lives because that's what the Spirit does. Jesus carries peace with him. He did not say, if you follow me, you will never have any problems. Jesus faced gigantic... Jesus was killed for the stand that he took. He had trouble, but he always had peace. And he brings that peace into our lives. Years ago, I read this book by John Ortberg, and it was called, If You Want to Walk on Water, you got to get out of the boat. And in this, he says, Peace doesn't come from finding a lake with no storms. It comes from having Jesus in the boat. Now, God does not want us to live in worry and fear. He wants us to live in bold confidence of who he is and what his power can do. In 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. 
It doesn't say, God came to give you the easy button. That's not what it says. It says a spirit of power and love of self-discipline. In Scripture, God rarely sends His people into situations where they're comfortable. Hardly ever does that. Instead, He does totally crazy things and then promises to be with them in the midst of this crazy thing. No comfortable circumstances. He teaches people through these circumstances how to deal with anxiety and fear. And that, in turn, will make us into the people that God intends for us to be. God goes to a guy named Abraham. He's like 65 years old, retired, two-camel garage. It's like, oh, I got it made. I'm going to relax now. It's all good. And God goes, okay, good. Now that you're set, move. Where? Over there. I don't know what's over there. Good. Then just go. And he's got to pack up everything, take anybody who will go with you, and they go. But God promises, I will be with you in the midst of this. And I will make you into a great nation that changes the world. God goes to a guy named Moses. He's perfectly fine being a shepherd out in the middle of nowhere, scorches his shrubs. And then says, Moses, you're going to go to the most powerful guy on earth, and you're going to tell him to let all my people go. And Moses is like, right, yeah, that's going to happen. And God says, you're going to go, and you're going to do it. And when you do, I will be with you. And this faithfulness will deliver this entire people. He goes to a guy named Joshua. And he says, I know all your people are scared. They don't want to enter the promised land. But you be strong and be courageous and you lead them. And I will be with you. And, I will, and all of a sudden they go in and they take the land. Over and over you see this throughout the scriptures repeated. David faces a giant Goliath. Elijah faces 700 prophets of Baal. Uh, you have Daniel going into a lion's den. And always God is with them in the midst of that fear. You see Jesus himself. Open to John chapter 16. In John 16, Jesus is talking to his followers. He's, he's getting ready for the cross. It's right around the corners in the last week of his life. And in John chapter 16, verse 33, he says to his disciples, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have what? Trouble. You're welcome. In this world you have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You will have trouble. And nobody has more tribulation than Jesus did. After his death and resurrection, he then sends his spirit to be the comforter, the counselor, he says this in John 14, to bring peace. But it's not peace like we comprehend. We think, oh, a counselor, they're going to be nice and say nice things to me. No, in the New Testament church, this comforter comes in. Stephen believes in Christ and he is martyred. He's killed for it. Then Paul takes up his place. Paul is then executed. Timothy then carries on the torch and on and on and on this goes. Historian Everett Ferguson calculates that more Christians have been killed for their faith in the past 50 years than the first 300 years of the church combined. You will have trouble. So open to John chapter 14. So two chapters before where you're just at. You're like, oh, I closed it. Don't close it. John 14. I think this is Jesus' word when talking about this counselor. His words for us. John 14, verse 27 says, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. So it's different than what we expect. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. It is different than we expect. The peace of Jesus brings something deeper than self-help techniques to manage your stress. It's deeper than anxiety and fear reduction that makes life more pleasant. It is a settled conviction in the core of who we are that all things are in God's hands, that He is sovereign over everything. All things will be well and all worry and fear can be cast out because we can trust Him. 
Now, that's the biblical perspective on this. Now we're going to talk about some practical stuff and how this works out. Uh, I'll say one thing to you that may give you a little bit of comfort in this if you worry a lot. Everybody worries about something. Maybe, maybe you have friends who oh, I never worry. They worry about something. But for you, maybe you're someone who, who thinks that worrying should be an Olympic sport because you just do it all the time. Maybe you can't remember the last time you weren't worried. Or, or if you ever find yourself not worried, you're worried that there's something you should be worried about. So you worry until you figure out what that thing you should worry about is. Sometimes you hear messages or read books about worry. I think they can do more harm than good sometimes because what you take away is, oh, I shouldn't worry so much. I just don't trust God enough. Then you worry about how much you worry. It's just terrible. Some people tell you if you were just closer to God, well, you wouldn't worry as much as you do. Sometimes that's not actually true. Science writer Daniel Goleman says that from birth, 15 to 20% of children are prone to timidity. I mean, just right out of the chute. They're just you know, prone to timidity. They're finicky about new foods. They're reluctant about going to new places. They're shy around strangers from birth. Their hearts beat faster in new situations. They've actually found that these kids, as they grow up, they are genetically predisposed to more guilt and more self-reproach. This is so predictable among mammals that the exact same proportion of cats as humans have the same problem. They're prone to timidity. Some cats are less curious. They're less likely to go into new territory. They will only kill smaller rodents. About 15% of cats are born timid. Do you think that's a spiritual problem? No, it's not a spiritual problem. Cats are evil. They're never going to be close to God. (laughs) Gee, you didn't see that coming, did you? People who wrestle with deep anxiety attacks are some of the most courageous people I've probably ever met. If you wrestle in your life with chronic worry, never compare yourself to someone who doesn't. Don't waste time feeling guilty about worry. Guilt may be what somebody needs who is lying or stealing or cheating or or lusting, but guilt simply does nothing when it comes to worrying. And if you don't wrestle with worry, don't judge someone who does. God is the only one who fully understands us because He made us. And God's Spirit will bring peace, but different people have different burdens to bear. So I'm going to give you two ways to grow out of timidity and fear. Uh, One of them you'll probably like. The other one you may not like so much, but it'll grow on you. The first one is this. It's all throughout Scripture, and that is let love cast out fear. Let love cast out fear. Again, 2 Timothy 1.7, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Paul says, The Spirit comes in, and the Spirit does not make us timid. He gives us power, and He gives us love. And that is not the only place in the Bible that actually talks about living in God's power, this connection between receiving love and then living in power. In 1 John 4.18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Living in God's Spirit means that His perfect love washes over us and begins to cast out our fear and our timidity and our anxiety. I love it when modern science bores out what Scripture has stated for forever. And this is one of those things. Love and fear are incompatible in our bodies. Uh, there have been studies, and every child has two needs. They have two needs. The first one is the need to explore. This is how you learn, you grow, and you develop. And the second one is the need to be safe. If a child doesn't feel safe, they won't then go explore and they won't grow. So researchers find that one parent more than the other will usually push the child to explore, to take a chance, to run a risk, to know that a little danger is a good thing. Generally, who do they find out that that is? The dad. Exactly. Like, jump off that. You'll be okay. I'll catch you, maybe. You know. (laughs) One parent then tends to be the comforter, the soother, and the safety net. Who do researchers find out that is? Dad. They're both dad. This is why dads are important. 
Now, it doesn't mean that both parents can't give both of these gifts. But this tells you dads are very important. They found that dads naturally give these gifts to their kids for kids to explore and grow. So when we experience fear, what happens is our bodies activate what's called the sympathetic nervous system. Your heart begins to race. Your breathing grows faster and shallower. Your muscles become tense. Blood runs out of your brain and into your heart. So if you have to run, you can run. And then when a small child do, they usually run to what's called the non-anxious presence, their comforter, their protector, their parent. And as a child is held and reassured in love, what takes over what's called the parasympathetic system, meaning their heart slows down, their breathing grows deeper, their muscles relax, blood flows back into their brain so they can make some coherent decisions again. And a little voice says you can go out and face the world again. Even in our physical bodies, it is borne out that perfect love casts out fear. But what the spirit longs to bring in us is not just physical but also emotional. You know, a lot of people have a lot of these negative and self-defeating persistent thoughts, and they just cycle over and over and over in their minds. And the Spirit longs to let His love cast out that fear so we can trust Him and be who God made us to be. It's like this. If you worry about money, you will think, okay, my finances aren't going well. The market's never going to turn around. I won't have enough for retirement. I'm not even saving properly right now. I've never been good with money. I don't understand money well. I shouldn't even, I shouldn't even, I'm not even giving where I should be at all right now. God's not going to bless me. He's going to come and He's going to want to squash me. I've got to do something to make myself feel better. I'll go buy something. <laughs> and that's how it works. I will tell you that God's will is not for intimacy with Him to be one more thing you have to worry about. God says His love will cast out your fear. God has sought you. He has chased you down. He has loved you. He has enfolded you into His arms so that that love and that surety will cast out your fear so you can live who He calls you to be. This could be sometimes when you're alone with God. Maybe it happens when you pray with some friends. It could be when you're reading the scriptures. It might be when you're singing a song or listening to music. I personally think it happens a lot of times when we spend time in community with other believers, those who can lift us up. Again, this is why we are all about small groups, gospel communities. You can sign up in the back. You can sign up be a part of a small group. I'll say it again. When Israel goes to occupy the promised land, God gives them instructions in Deuteronomy 20, verse 8. And this is what he says. Is anyone afraid or faint-hearted? Let him go home so that the others will not become disheartened too. In an army, a workplace, a ministry, this negativity and fear and discouragement, it becomes contagious. But courage is contagious as well. I think coming alongside each other, we can help each other live in the surety of who God is and who he calls us to be. And Philippians 4, 7, Scripture promises this. It says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This peace of God literally means the peace that God himself has. This is who he is, a serenity that characterizes his own internal being. That peace will guard your hearts and your minds. Paul uses a military term, it's guard. This is the word ancient Greeks used for soldiers who would guard and protect a city. The promise of God is a spirit will stand guard over our mind and our hearts. Not, it's not just about trying harder. When we pray and talk to God about our concerns, we are beginning to put off worry and put on peace. And it does take a little bit of effort on our part. But over time, it becomes a habit. We just do it. Prayer is the single most fundamental spiritual discipline when it comes to putting off anxiety and putting on peace. Prayer. You turn every concern you have over to God. And then God's peace washes over you as you let go and trust His love. So the first one, let love cast out fear. The second one, 
take direct action to face your fear. This may, not, this may be the one you're like, I don't like that one. Well, just go with me, okay? Take direct action, direct action to face your fear. Living in peace, it is not something that involves all, you know, it, it's not involved just, oh, it's all in my mind, I just got to figure it out, and I just got to do it this way. It involves what you actually do. You actually have to live it. The Spirit will help us to grow into peace by leading us into circumstances that we would want to avoid. Like, I don't want to go there. God's like, good, go there. That's where you got to go. That would be good for you. In our role in this, we move forward. We trust God. We embrace the challenges that he brings. Hearing a message like I'm giving you today about how God takes care of us, in itself, it is not sufficient to remove fear from your life. You must open yourself up to God's spirit and engage certain activities he calls you to do. You will need to step out in trust. It's like this. Uh, Anybody ever been to a rock climbing gym? Okay, we have one in San Luis Obispo. You've never been, you should go. You'll learn a whole lot of stuff about yourself. Before you ever get up on the ropes, you have to sit through a lecture either from the staff or on a video. They tell you everything about the gym, but then they tell you how strong the harnesses are, uh, how the ropes that they use could actually hold tons of weight. They tell you how the carabiners clipping everything together are virtually indestructible. And they explain that up on the ropes, it's perfectly safe. You have no reason to worry. You face more danger in your car driving home than you do climbing at the rock climbing gym. Everybody hears the same lecture. Nobody disputes the facts. Everybody nods their heads. We all believe what they say. And then you get up on the ropes and your stomach doesn't believe what they said. You know, it's like, you know, rivers of living water will flow out of you. Well, that's not what's flowing out of you when you're up on the ropes. Maybe it's what's flowing out of your armpits, you know, because you're, you're freaking out. The first time you can't get a finger hold or, or a toe hold automatically, these thoughts start to flow. Oh, I'm too high. I'm going to fall. I'm not safe. See, the, the flow of thoughts has not been changed by the video or the lecture that you saw. And many times this is true for us with the life of Christ in us. Just by reading the scripture and praying until we step out and actually live the life he calls us to live, we will not experience how his perfect love casts out fear. Now consider the staff who who work at the rock climbing gym. They've been on the ropes hundreds of times. And because they have put themselves to this experience again and again, all of their automatic thoughts have changed. They know they are safe on the ropes. Their stomachs and armpits have become convinced that the ropes are a perfectly safe place to be. Their minds have been renewed. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Living sacrifice daily. You do it. You trust Him. You step out where He calls you to go. And it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And after your mind is renewed, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, the pivotal moment for people in a rock climbing gym is when you get strapped in and you figure out how to put that stupid harness on because it's all crazy and strapping together. You get ready to climb. You look at your instructor or your, or your buddy and you say, En belay which is like a French term for I've lost my mind. But he's like, on belay. You know, to belay a rope means it's absolutely secure. You fasten it to something immovable. It means that you're connected to something that will keep you from falling. You entrust your body to what you say you believe. You will walk by faith or climb by faith. So you say, on belay, and they say, belay on. You say, climbing, and they say, climb on, and you're on the way. And you could listen to a lecture about the safety of carabiners a thousand times. You could repeat the whole thing from memory, but that alone would not remove fear from your body the first time you get up there and you actually climb. Once you say on belay enough times, it's just a matter of time before your thoughts and your body actually begin to change. You begin to live knowing that you are actually safe. 
information alone does not bring about the transformation of the whole person. You can read book after book, hear talk after talk, sermon after sermon, read the scripture, and you can always remain just as anxious as you were before. There is no way the peace of God goes from the head to the rest of your body without trusting God enough to directly step out and face your greatest fear. The Bible and prayer were never given to us as forms of anxiety avoidance or medication. That's not why they're there. In the long run, anytime we avoid doing what God calls us to do out of fear, I think we die a little bit inside. When we truly trust God, His peace is when we climb out on that limb, is when we're scared about it, but we climb out anyway because we know that He has us. Now, when I was putting this message together, I was, we were going to Haiti. And I, I had just thought about that John Ortberg book, and so I, I need some podcasts. So I downloaded some podcasts. And, and he told this story, and it related so well. I just like, that will be great. I'm going to put that in there. It's wonderful. Uh, so I listened to the podcast from him, and he said he had this one time that he and his wife and his kids were on vacation. His daughters at the time were like three and five years old. So they're at a hotel, and his wife's like, I'm going to take a nap, take the kids to the pool, don't let them die. He's like, got it. You know, so he goes down to the pool, and so he warns his kids, don't run around, don't jump. You're going to slip and fall and hit your head, fall in the pool, and you're going to drown. You'll die. Don't do that. So his kids are like, okay. So next thing you know, what are the kids doing? Jumping up and down, woo, right, boom. And so he has this one little girl. She jumps up and down. She slips and falls in the water, goes under the water. Immediately he sees this. He grabs her. He pulls her out of the water. And she comes up. She's crying. She's like, oh, daddy, oh, daddy. I drowned, daddy. I'm so, I drowned, daddy. And he's like, no, you didn't drown. You weren't even close. So let's not tell your mom about this. <laughs> he goes, because she wouldn't understand what I know. And, and what is that? That is, her father was watching her the entire time, and the moment she slipped, that was so scary for her. His, her dad was plenty strong enough to reach in and pull her out of the water. She was safe just right there in her dad's arms, perfectly safe, more alive than ever. And that is the good news of the gospel. I think it's more than good news. That, that is true news. You may slip, but God's hands will always have you. You trust God's peace. Nothing can take you from the arms of the Father. We must be people who step out and live what we say we believe. You let His perfect love cast out fear. And we live in power and love and self-discipline. Now this morning, what I want to do before we go to communion is I want to talk about prayer just for a minute. Because again, prayer is this main way that we can throw our cares upon God and allow His peace to begin to wash over us. And so this morning, there are going to be deacons and elders in the back. Uh, after service is over, they're going to hang around in the front. And if you are fearful, maybe you're fearful of walking in the back of the hallway and praying with them, great, step out in your fear and go and talk to them and get some prayer. If you are somebody who is, has chronic anxiety, let them pray with you and begin to step out into who God calls you to be. We're going to worship God through prayer this morning, letting some community people come along beside you and lift you up. Because this is part of who God calls us to be. Alongside each other, lifting each other up so that we can trust who He is. So we worship God through prayer. We're going to worship God through song. The band's going to come up. And as they do, you are invited to take communion while they lead us in a couple songs. Where you take that cracker and you break it like His body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice that reminds us of His blood that was shed for you and I. So that we can be a people who live in full confidence of who He is. Who no longer need to live in fear. Because our great God holds us so firmly and so strongly. We worship God through giving. There's an offering box on the side wall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship, so we give you the opportunity every single week. And again, we're going to worship God through fellowship. There's some food and stuff in the back. And if you don't have people in your life who can lift 
you up. Especially in the times when you are very scared and very afraid. You need those people in your life. So we try to make it so you have to interact with each other. So it's like, oh, I can't get to the food without asking somebody to move out of the way. Well, no, you just started a conversation. Hey, can you move? No, good. How are you doing? Say hi to somebody. Take them out to lunch. Let them take you out to lunch. I don't know, however that works. Whoever's got enough money to pay for the financial class, you know, they can. <laughs> Guys, God calls us to do life together. And it is very important that we do so. Especially when it comes to trusting God and His, and His peace that He longs to bring into our lives. So, this morning, if you are somebody who wrestles with worry, don't leave without letting somebody pray for you. At least don't leave without talking to somebody else and maybe beginning a friendship so someone can come alongside you and help lift you up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being a God who casts out all our fear. And we do ask that as we come to situations that are scary, and we do have these people around us who help lift us up, that our eyes, though, would go to you. Because life is about you and what you long to bring into our lives, which is so different than what everybody else says we need. We need you and your strength and your peace and your grace because without it, we are just scared kids looking for our comforter. But you have promised that you have sent your comforter into our lives. So teach us to live in the bold assurity of that promise of yours. That your comforter holds us, guides us, leads us, knows us better than anybody else. And places us into your family as your children. And then pushes us into relationships with other people. Have us truly begin to live as those who worship you with every part of our lives and every moment of our lives so we no longer need to fear. And we could live as the people that you made us to be. Amen.